For our scripture reading today, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. Start in the first chapter with a few verses. And then I'm going to do some skipping around a bit. I will, as I read, I will announce the new verse if I'm skipping over some some of the text. Um, trying to get to the text that relates to God's commands and his ordinations against which men today apparently love to rebel. So we begin with um, Genesis 1, 26, uh, and uh, read start reading through 28. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let, us, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then to skip to the second chapter, uh, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then the Lord God planted a garden uh, eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree to grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the garden, in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then to skip down to verse 15. Uh, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely uh, die. And then to skip to verse 20. So uh, Adam gave names to all the cattle to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because uh, she was taken out of man. And then skip down to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So 
When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make uh, one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves uh, coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. May the Lord bless this reading to our uh, good understanding. As I said, the title of the sermon today is Satanism Today. And I've chosen the title carefully and, and um, self-consciously because it flies so much in the face of the secularism of our day. Our day is a day where we want to escape any reference to the Lord or his context. And so we do theology today very slowly. We, we, we think of all the different cultural disciplines and we think we can do those without making any reference to God and that they will have the same sense to them and the same significance without God there. In other words, we believe that all by ourselves, based on our own dignity and the weight and the power of our own words, that we can create a universe of meaning for ourselves so that our lives will be meaningful even though the Lord is not there. And the moment that people today bring up anything having to do with religion or faith or the Lord or Jesus, you can almost feel the cold pale of frigidity descend upon the relationship, the conversation, the institution, if there's a meeting going on and this, this takes place. Uh, that's why when I've gone to the uh, Westchester uh, trustees meetings, which I've done over the years quite often, I almost always read scripture there to them and, and inject the, the notion or the idea of God's existence and something that he said, because I know that that, that does good. It's like, it's like salt to a meal. And, and even though it jars people to hear that sort of thing, it's still good for them. And that's one of the joys that I've had with street preaching in our day, because when you you stand up in this average secular street of America and say anything about the Lord. It's radical. And it comes across radically. Radically in the sense that this is substantially something different than people are used to. They have been coddled in the 12 years of their lower education. They've been coddled with the idea that, that they can do all that they want in terms of education without any reference to the Lord. And again, it'll have just the same meaning, all just the same significance. You can have your life and it can be very successful without ever mentioning the Lord. And so in today's world, whenever you inject the, the uh, awareness, the, the announcement of something about the Lord, it just, uh, it's like a, a gong going off in the midst of the air, a strange sound. But it's good. It's good for people to hear. And so uh, the sermon titled Satanism Today, 
people tend to think today, if they talk politics at all, they tend to think of, of uh, wisdom versus stupidity. Uh, so that if they like something in terms of politics, well, then that's wise. If they don't like it, well, then it's stupid. It's, uh, it's, it's not right. But they don't, they don't tend to think of it ethically or religiously. They don't think of it in terms of holiness, that this policy is holy or this policy is good. And there are many things in politics that we discuss that we're, we're not exactly sure whether, whether there's a, a really right way or a wrong way to do this thing. But in, in many aspects of this world, there are, that we, we can see uh, relationships to not just wisdom or not just a, a better outcome to something, but we can see that it's really good. It's a better way because it lines up with what God has said. And so um, uh, we see... Uh, that one way is the way of the Lord, and the other way is the is the way of the devils. There's, uh, and I will often say, I'll often talk in terms of Christ and Antichrist instead of uh, the God, God and the devil, because if we support things that are contrary to the Word of God, uh, then we are contraminding the the uh, the will of Christ, because Christ has told us in his word, uh, he's given us the mind of God in this Bible that we hold. And so that's the that's the um, that's the, the safest thing, and it's very encouraging for us to think in this way of that 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 so many matters of the world do come down to Christ or Antichrist. And we want to be on the side of Jesus. We want to we want to be numbered amongst the people that that know something about what the Lord would have us to do and be, and that we align with that and that we support it. So um, the title, Satanism Today, trades on the idea that, that there are many policies and many ways that people think today that aren't just wrong, that aren't just wrong-headed, but they're really satanic. And we need to think in those black and white terms about any, many things. There are some things that are gray, but where God has spoken, then we need to realize that that these are much more than mere wisdom, or much more than um, mere pragmatic ideas that will turn out better than the impragmatic ideas. And so, with that in mind, I wanted to go back and look at the early, the earliest verses of Genesis uh, to con- contrast. The mind, the, the mind of modern man with the mind of God and show you how so many of the things that we are fighting and dealing with today have to do with the expressed uh, notions of the Lord. They come down to opinions that God has given us so that when we disagree with them, we're disagreeing with the Lord himself and we're contradicting the Lord. Now, uh, based on this introduction then, uh, I've got a ten-point sermon for you. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go pretty fast through most of them, and then labor on a couple more. Um, but the first point I wanted you to see was that there is the idea of contending with God, and we see that in the third chapter, verses one through four, where the serpent begins to talk with Adam and Eve, and the the this the this conversation by Satan is summarized in two verses. First of all, uh, 
um, uh, verse 1, where Satan says to Eve, Hath God indeed said? It's a question. So he doesn't come right out and contradict the Lord. He asks this skeptical question. And sometimes people think that all forms of skepticism are fine, that it's okay, it's perfectly okay to be skeptical. Sometimes you'll hear this in college, in your classes, uh, where the professor will say, it's okay to ask any question. It's fine for you to wonder, to inquire about things. And um, that's fine as long as it's not something that God has specifically said the other way around. So that then when God has spoken clearly and we're somewhat, we, we're skeptical like he was, Satan was here with Eve, hath God indeed said? Now to Eve's credit, she answers him based on what the revelation of God has been to her and her husband. Um, so that, that much is good. But we see Satan's role in this. He, he starts with skepticism, asking this question. And then when she answers him well, he comes back in verse 4 by saying, you shall not surely die. There he is contradicting the Lord. Now, here, in terms of, um, in terms of the wisdom of this world and humanism, you can see that Satan, in this answer, where he tells Eve she, that she will surely not die, you can see where he has a point, or he has an angle. And after it, we can ask the question, uh, uh, after they ate of the forbidden fruit, did they die? And of course, we say, we say, no, they didn't literally die in the, in the, in the one sense. Uh, but in the other sense, they did. They died spiritually. So Satan... Satan is always twisting the, the definitions. He's twisting the ideas so that he has some angle. And you can hear this today in so many of the, so many of the debates that are had. Satan did not acknowledge that man was created with a special sense, a special um, a sense perception uh, that had to do with the spirit that we call faith. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, their faith died. Their faith no longer perceived God correctly. When God, when God then appears in the garden, instead of being, instead of being thrilled to fellowship with the magnificent God of their creation, now they're afraid of him, they run from him, they're hiding from him, uh, they, they, they hide as if they could really hide from him. He sees right through it. He goes and he finds them and he talks to them. And uh, it shows how stupid their, their perception is at that point. But their faith was, their faith did die. And, of course, if you, don't, if you don't admit that faith is an important part of the human being or the human makeup, well, then you, you, you can minimize the idea of the death. But it was a catastrophe that they died. Then. The, 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 the loss of their faith separated them from the Lord and would continue to magnify and accumulate in their lives to cause them to do all kinds of bad things. When, when, when Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel, it arose out of this absence of faith. Killing your brother and your family. Who would have ever thought that that would have been the result of this religious loss of experience of faith, this dimension of faith that God created us with. But that's just one illustration. So 
but what we see here is that uh, Satan uh, contends with God directly and tries to teach uh, Adam and Eve how to do this and, and, and it does uh, seduce them into this process. But what we see from this is that contending with God at any point, whether it's God's telling Adam and Eve that they shouldn't eat of the tree or that they would die, contending with God at any point is a wicked thing. It's full of revolution. It's not innocent in any way, shape, or form. It is literally satanic. And we cannot say a sanitize the satanic from our behavior and say, oh, we've just done a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And in our theology, we do that with uh, uh, the, the teachings that we promote sometimes on things like free will or the sovereignty of God or the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. We minimize. We shave here and there and, uh, and by that confound the true teachings that God has given us. So, First of all, contending with God. It's not good, and literally, it is satanic. Secondly, we see, uh, in terms of the basics of humanity, we see first of all, or the, you know, in, in terms of positive teaching, this is the first that I'm going to come to, and that is God's teaching about the priority of the species man. This is We see this in verse 126, where... God says, let us make man in our image. Now, this is a reference to the Trinity, to the Trinitarian nature of God, where God is can be seen as a plurality, not a plurality of divine being, but a plurality of persons. And so uh, he, he makes reference here to this. And But he says, let, let us make a man in our own image. Has he said this about any other part of the creation? Has he said this about any of the birds or any of the animals or any of the insects? Let, uh, let, uh, let us make this, uh, this bear or this uh, horse in our image. No. So we see that, that man has a special, a special, especially lofty place in terms of the creation. God esteems the man in terms of the way he created him. He esteems him above the rest of the creation. So when we have any debates today, uh, in our political context of the having to do with the environment or um, the the animal world, the birds, all of these kinds of things, modern man comes to these discussions and he puts the animal world on a par or on the same level with man. He says man has no more priority over the snail darter in terms of his the importance of his existence. Than that, and there are there are other things also. I mean, everything he puts man and and many many today in the environmental movement put man beneath the rest of the creation. They want they want the rest of the creation to have a significance above man, and that they they say that man ought to um, beware uh, lest he impose himself on any part of the creation. Well, we know God wants us to take care of the creation. He wants us to cultivate. He says right here, he wants us to cultivate the earth in a, in a, in a positive way. But when push comes to shove, uh, he made the creation for man and not man for the creation. This is our kingdom. We are the creation kings and 
Uh, this is our kingdom. And we're not, we're, we're not supposed to make our laws or our mandates in, a, in an up topsy-turvy way where we evaluate the, the, the things of the kingdom more than the kings of the creation themselves. So, so uh, uh, this is uh, one of God's basic teachings of life, and to oppose it is satanic. So that so many of these humanistic environmental organizations, they are based on a satanic prioritizing of everything else above that which God prioritized. So they are contending with God on that. Uh, the second thing we see here in terms of the creation is the idea of dual or two sexes, the, the dual sexuality of man. We see that in chapter 127. Uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now these are This is among the most fundamental dictums that God has put on us, that, that men, that, that mankind is created uh, to, to be, uh, to have two distinct sexes. So, of course, we've reached the stage today in our rebellion where this is under all kinds of assault. And it's even come down to the idea of our pronouns and the way we talk to each other. That it's it can be you can be lose your job today if you're a professor. You can lose your job by referring to uh, a young woman as uh, she or a ma'am or a young man uh, by he or him if that person um, thinks of themselves in the opposite way. Um, so young women thinking of themselves as men, young men thinking of themselves as women. The whole homosexuality movement today is based upon this. This is a rebellion against a basic uh, statutory way that God created man. And like I said, it, it goes from the, the level of uh, uh, sexuality uh, down to the grammar and the way that we talk to each other. It goes to those social relationships of marriage. And now in, uh, in most states, the... Um, the Sodomite movement or the, the homosexual movement has obtained uh, some of the same uh, blessings or some of the same honors that married people have uh, by because of the because of their various um, uh, crusades to impose these things or to get these rights to themselves to obtain these rights. Now they they want they want to uh, obtain the rights of the marriage idea that God uh, gives us here in chapter 3 or chapter, I'm sorry, chapter, um, yeah, chapter 3 um, um, and, uh, but they want to obtain this on, on what basis? Well, just because of they got the idea themselves. They don't, they're not getting it because of that's the way God created them. And they hate the idea that God would have the power to say these kinds of things. And they would they would accuse him, if not us today, of uh, being sexist, uh, which is akin to being a racist. It's, uh, it's taking, uh, taking things out of order in a very wicked way. And they are angry about that, and they want to condemn us, and they want to 
They want us to lose our jobs over these things. Now, if you ask them, if you ask them for any justification for why, why they know this is true, they have no basis whatsoever because they themselves uh, they believe that they are that they are part of a just a, a chance universe that's gone on for millions and millions and millions of years. It's it's not a it's not a universe of where they have any divine law. It's just a a universe in which they have become gods themselves. And so based upon their authority and their ideas, they will demand this that this be done. But if uh, if there's any if there's any sense to that or any logic to that, well then why can't we suggest that God has the same rights, the same logic as they have given for themselves? And they have no answer for that. But uh, they um, they do have a majority today. They have the numbers, and so based on the numbers, they're able to obtain the kind of um, the kind of uh, result that they'd like. So, uh, dual sexuality, and that relates to both the identities of people and the social relationships, the marriages that are um, uh, ordained by men, and that sort of thing. Um, fourthly, I'll just refer to this momentarily, but Genesis one twenty eight. God commands us by telling us that he, we have to cultivate the earth and subdue it. <clears throat> we have to develop the, the creation. He's telling us that we, by the way he's created us, we have a, uh, we have a special um, vocational enterprise to enter into his world, much like entering his mine, and, and find all the gold and the silver and the precious gems that are there. So whether the, the world is agriculture or hairstyling or making fabrics or building, construction, architecture, all of these things, God has given us gifts to do these things, and he calls us to go in and to do that. But in this, he commands us to work, but work creatively like he created, to work creatively to, to discover new things about whatever field we're working in. And it's exciting, but he, he does command us to do this so that when people just don't want to work, when they just want to, when they want to retire at 21 and do nothing but lay around on the beach in Tahiti, uh, you know, this is a, this is a contrary to the Lord. It's contrary to his creational mandate. Uh, and it's, it's satanic. You don't have to say that the person is just lazy or that they're, they don't have any interest. No, they're, they're actually contradicting the, the way God created them to be. Now, you can retire from one job and do another. It may the, the second one may look less like work than the first, but if you're, if you're doing it with the sense that you're developing the world for the Lord, then you're doing what he commanded you to do. Uh, <clears throat> um, uh, fifthly, I'm not going to dwell on this at all, but in the second chapter, verses 1 through 3, where God deals with the Sabbath, he commands us, he tells us to rest on the seventh day and to to do our spirituality, our spiritual things, to go to church. And that's that's something that is commanded. Many people today just don't seem to feel that that's all that important. Uh, the sixth thing, in Genesis 2-7, um, he calls us to uh, to image himself. Verse 2-7, chapter 2, verse 7, he says, He formed us from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So here we see the intimacy, 
the intimacy. He's like a, a master creator or a master surgeon. He creates and he breathes into us uh, uh, the, the divine, the, the, cre- the created personality that was divinely endowed by God. If we wonder, why are we so different? Well, how can we be so different and yet all have these creative gifts? gifts. We can be so dynamic even though we're different. Would we should we be surprised? God has breathed His breath into us and endowed us with all of these kinds of things. Uh, but this is uh, this is part of what we're supposed to be, and uh, so that uh, when Jesus comes and He says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness," it shouldn't surprise us that He gives us this because this is how we were created. Uh, in the second chapter, verse fifteen and sixteen. He tells us about ethics, that we are to obey his ethics. Verse 15 and 16, it says, Then God, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord commanded him, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So in, in the very first dimension of the way the Lord created us, he gives us things that we are to do and things that we're not to do. The pros and the cons of our existence. And so we shouldn't be surprised that we are created to be ethical creatures. And we ought to do everything we can to discover what are God's ethics. Uh, and the, how does that reflect on our ethics? Uh, we see in chapter 2, verse 20 to 24, we see more about this marriage business. And it says that God created Eve, and God gave Eve to Adam, and uh, which the, the love poem there shows Immediately, how how smitten God is with Eve, you know why why is it that uh, boys like girls and girls like boys? Huh? God is <laughs> God has injected us with a kind of marital serum where we see the beauty of each other, and uh, and we're so, and we're supposed to see the things that God gave us, so that men are supposed to enjoy the feminine side of the female personality and the female personality is supposed to enjoy the the, the, the dimensions of the male personality and and uh, you're supposed to see the differences and you're supposed to be attracted to the to the other so that that can be the basis of a marriage uh, so that when we try to pretend uh, that there's no difference between the sexes it's a bad thing it's it's satanic it's contrary to the way the Lord made us. Uh, ninthly, in the, in the 17th verse of the third chapter, well, we see where uh, God says, uh, uh, then, he, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed shall be the ground for your sake. Now, this means that we, we should have this intimate relationship with each other. We should enjoy each other. We should be we should be respectful of each other's wisdom where it comes, but there is a headship involved in the male part of the species, and to, to dismiss this is foolish, and it's satanic when we try to do that. Um, lastly, <clears throat> tenthly, <clears throat> I was going to bring out the fact that um, that society, and this is really a hot point for today. If you look at this, the way that Genesis tells about the creation of man, we see where society's fundamental unit springs up from the way man was created. Man was created individually. Adam was created first, 
and then Eve from him, two individuals, then they have a marriage unit, and that unit becomes the unit for both church and state. So we have to, in terms of the way life is organized, we have to uh, be we have to be aware that the individual has some priority over the group, and that the group should be respectful in, in as great a way as they can of the individual. Uh, what's being taught today? Today, one of the, the huge debate in our time is whether we should be socialistic or whether we should be free market individually based. And you can see how in the same way that Satan rebelled against uh, sexual definition, against marriage, uh, against uh, labor, against the idea of culture, in the same way that Satan rebels against all these other things, Satan has rebelled here. So that today, the idea of the state is imposed upon the individual. The, the state, the individual must be sublimated and to even disappear in terms of the superiority of the state. Well, we see in terms of the creation that the city did not come about until the, until the uh, development of the family of Cain, and we see that the city, uh, the city has always had a problem since the, since the creation, well, not since the creation, but since the, since the fall of the creation, that the city has had a problem because men, when men get together, they get talking and they kind of puff up their chest and they get feeling, look at us, look at how powerful we are. And they, they become euphoric in their humanism because they're talking together and they think that they can do whatever they want. When the Tower of Babel was built, uh, it was said, let us build a tower that will reach into the heavens. Let us, let us by, the, by our architecture, by the accomplishments of the city, let us appear almost as gods. And so that's, that's one of the huge problems that we have today. Uh, but if you try to argue against socialism based on logic or based on reason, you're going to have problems. You're not going to be able to build the strongest case against it because there are, there are obviously virtues, there are benefits to working together as mankind. And... Uh, and so you can just talk about those to the, to the degree that uh, it just looks like arguing for the individual or for the sanctity of the individual or the individual's family. That's just a, it's a foolish notion. So and, and Satan is a good talker. We, we see how he disputed with the Lord himself in the garden. And he had a point, you see. You know, when he said, thou shalt not die. He had a point. It wasn't true, but he had a hidden angle. And so people today, when they argue about these things, they always have angles. And if you argue based upon logic, just pure logic and pure reason, you will find yourself often uh, at least outnumbered, if not out-argued. So you have, to re you have to go back to God's word and uh, for authority to really, to really have a sound foundation. So uh, when the libertarians are arguing with the socialists today, we don't, we don't take the libertarian angle. We take the biblical angle. And we, we remind people, God created man first individually. Now, Hillary wrote her book, It Takes a Village. In other words, without the village, there's no individual. No, Hillary. There were individuals before there were villages. You're wrong. Based not upon feminine logic, male logic, societal logic, based upon God's logic, God's word.
He created man. He created Adam first, and then male and female, and then family. And so, without these basic um, uh, senses or axioms, you get lost. You take the gender issue today. They say they say they want to be they want to be whatever they think they are, you know. So and uh, you started out men wanted to be women and women wanted to be men. That was pretty simple. But now, if you look at the I forget what the number is, but if you look at the number of pronouns or genders that they have identified in the ranks of the collegiate, I believe there are 52. 52, I can't even, I mean, I'm a fairly speculative thinker. I can't, I can't come up with more than four or five. But there you have, 52. Which shows us, what it shows you is that when you leave the, the definitions of the Lord, you end up in total confusion. You're a mockery of yourself. You're a mockery of your own logic. And uh, uh, some of these kids that, that want to fight this battle and deal with this and uh, make this their crusade, they, they end up sounding like total idiots. I mean, how can you have 52 different manners of being or, or personality? It's so There are so many that you are obscured by the plurality uh, of which you come up with. It's, it's completely stupid. But that's where we are today. So um, <clears throat> the, reason I, the reason I mention this is that this is very, very, it's become very, very dangerous today. Do you know that there are over 400 people today that have been incarcerated uh, the FBI has gone out over the land and has f searching out people that attended the January 6th rally in Washington, and of course especially anybody that got near the Capitol building or went into the Capitol building. They're searching them out. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to break anything. You didn't have to, you know, uh, act uh, excessively aggressive. But if uh, if you're there. They're trying to search you out and find you. And um, these 400 people are being held today in prison. Uh, they, have not, they, do not, they have not had the right of habeas corpus. They're being held. They, their charges are not known. They're being held in unknown places, in unknown prisons here in America. I don't know if the relatives have been hold, told, but it's, uh, there's a lot of uh, secrecy. They're not releasing the films of the riots. They're not releasing the names of those involved. And um, um, uh, they're being held in, in America. There is something called a pretrial detention order. There are special pretrial detention orders. And you can see why we have them on the books. Let's say there were there was some sort of seditious riot where the they were very, very dangerous, that there was a danger of the, st the state being overturned, of a revolution or something like that. And the, the idea of having these pretrial detention orders on the books is so that, that the state has time to control the thing before it metastasizes and gets out of hand and just goes completely bonkers. But it, it's, it's, it's recognized that these are exceptional cases. But now in terms of a, an exceptional case, you see, uh, what they've done in this case is that they've gone way overboard and uh, uh, arrested people that were were uh, offended by some of the actions of the modern state. 
And uh, at the same time, and they, they'll, they'll point to the, the, the guard that died. There was one guard that died in the midst of that. It's been shown since then that he did not die from assault. He had a heart attack. Uh, the one person that was killed in this business on January 6th that um, That died uh, was a veteran, a woman who was a veteran who got who was shot by one of the policemen there in the Capitol building, and they have not released any information about that yet. Now, you can see if it was the contrary, they would have released all kinds of information. But it's this it's this uh, kind of crazy um, emphasis of state power and the the uh, reaction of the state when they if the state Let's make it hypothetical here. If the state did think that it was God, um, which I think it is one of the errors of the modern state, not just America, but I mean around the world, if the state did think that, then you would say, well, the state would, would react in an especially aggressive way when it was attacked. It's a kind of blasphemy against uh, the modern state. And so it appears that that is what has has happened here because this uh, in the last summer of 2020 there were um, there were riots in Washington D.C. riots in various cities billions of dollars of damage was done there was hardly there was a, there were thousands of dollars that were uh, damage that were done on the Capitol evidently we still don't know but uh, you can see the the billions of dollars of damage that were done there there doesn't seem to be much upset about that by the state. Whereas the people that showed up in the Capitol, uh, they're being they're they're still in jail. The the, the people that did the uh, Black Lives Matter riots and the uh, Antifa riots, um, various politicians were raising their bail to get, to get them out. And so uh, so you just see a completely a different way of dealing with these things, and um, uh, much of it has to do with uh, these basic views of what's right and wrong, and um, and who has the right to, to say what's right and wrong? Is, it the, is the state the ultimate lawgiver, or is it the law, the Lord? And what we see today is the, the, there's a rebellion against doing things God's way, and there's a, we're, we're considered, as Christians, we're considered blasphemous to even suggest that it should be done God's way, and then we can be, you can run into problems with the authorities if you act upon that. So uh, there is, uh, in, in, even in the church, we're seeing this insinuate itself into the church in various ways. So um, what I wanted you to get out of the sermon was that, that these, so many of these things go back to the basic ways that God created us, it goes to men contradicting the way God created us and rebelling against these definitions. And then it goes to the power and the anger of those who want to act on, on behalf of um, a secular definition of these things. And I want you to realize that this goes to the way we treat Jesus Christ. Because this goes to the lordship of Jesus Christ. These issues are issues of lordship. Jesus is the one. All things were created through him, John 1, 1 says. And so uh, the way our sexuality, the way we're created to work, the way we're created to develop culture, 
the way we're the way we're created sexually, to be families. All of these things are are given to us uh, in and through the the power of the eternal word, the logos. And when he revealed these things to us, we see more of the logos fingerprints upon it. The, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fact that we are supposed to abide by these things in Jesus' ways, these are issues of lordship. So that when we contradict the Lord's word, we contradict Jesus Christ. We become a part of Antichrist and his crusade against the good God of the creation. Let's close together. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us to see that, that the issues of godliness and the issues of Satanism can involve very practical matters in our lives. They have to do with the way we talk to each other, the way we imagine each other, the, the basic political systems that we choose for ourselves. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with thy church today, that first of all it might understand these things better. We pray, O oh Lord, that it might have a greater uh, encouragement to defend these ideas and to search after them, seeing that they are not just matters of um, abstract theology, but they have to do with the very lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are matters, matters of great preciousness and truth to this one that we call Savior as he is both our Savior and our Lord. Help us, O Lord, then, especially in the Church of Christ, not to be confused by these things. Help us to see them as matters of Christianity and anti-Christianity, and help us to identify with the right side of the issues, and help us to be able to have the fortitude to fight for them. Help us also, Lord, to know the difference sometimes. Help us not to make every, every matter an issue, of that's black and white, but only as thou hast revealed them in thy word to be matters of black and white. So we pray that, that we would be, based upon thy word, that we would have the training and the, the preparation to be honorable citizens of thy kingdom and therefore better uh, re residents in the kingdom, the kingdoms of men, uh, the nations that we see here today. We know ultimately, O Lord, as it says in verse Psalm 47, that all peoples and all nations will bow their knee and fall on their face before thee, O Lord. And so we pray that we might be part of that in terms of the great evangelistic missionary effort of the Christian church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.